the future of photography. Exploring the ways new technology can help you make fantastic photos. Welcome back to episode uh, two of The Future of Photography. My name is Chris. And my name is Aid. So this week, we're going to talk about depth. <laughs> depth. Well, depth is an important thing, and there's a lot of computation. We have an airplane overhead right now because we are still in Kathmandu, uh, waiting for our flights back home after the Bhutan tour. And um, yeah, we're, we're recording a couple of episodes. And depth is one of the topics that we keep talking about, we kept talking about. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Depth. What is depth? Okay. Define depth. Define depth. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Sorry for putting you on the spot here. No, 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 that's okay. So the depth we're talking about here is the ability of a camera to understand how far away things are. Mm -hmm. um, now, we've had for a very long time cameras that can autofocus. Uh, so in that sense, they can make sure that things are sharp. And there is computation involved there. There, there is, yes. Whether it's phase detection autofocus or whether it's contrast detection autofocus in more modern cameras, um, you know, it, it, it is working with algorithms rhythms to, to get things sharp mm. for us but that that's not necessarily the same as understanding depth though that's just about making things sharp and so interestingly enough we I mean as humans we we kind of inherently understand depth because we experience it every day it's part of our life we have two eyes we see a stereo picture our brain makes a depth map out of this pretty much so we know this glass on the table is uh, is so far away and that uh, lets us direct our hand to grab the glass without Uh, accidentally dropping it off the table not as easy for people who only can see through one eye they have different strategies to cope with that but uh, depth depth is something that is so so normal for us that uh, it's kind of uh, int interesting to, to try to untangle it and look at what um, what that means in a, in, a, in a technical context in cameras now uh, of course depth is something that has been in a photographic context and also in a film context has been with us for a long time. Uh, back in the 50s, there were 3D cinemas that displayed 3D movies. And uh, if you think 3D nowadays, you have uh, a, a projector that projects two different images and there are polarized light and you have some glasses on that, that uh, have polarizers on them and you can see one picture with one eye and the other with the other eye. So it recreates the depth that we see in our in our uh, with our eyes or you have shutter glasses and you see these different images behind uh, temporally behind each other so you have a one eye sees one picture and then the other eye sees the other picture and the glasses open up and close uh, based on LEDs so um, there's a lot of a lot of technology to do this um, there's also technology that has been really around forever almost since photography began to capture these images uh, we are We, I remember going to a flea market and they had this, these, these pairs of images on a strip of paper. So you had like for, for each eye a separate image and you would take a special viewer and you have these little magnifying glasses in them and every, each eye would get a separate picture and all of a sudden you were there in a scene from 1890 uh, on a train station and you could see the, the train coming at you and so 3D has been around forever. It has. I mean, we're very fortunate, aren't we? I mean, you know, we are uh, an animal that evolved as a hunter. And so we have two eyes on the front of our heads and we have a whole bunch of computational grey mass behind those eyes. So, you know, we can do this stuff naturally. Um, and, you know, that is something that 
that uh, people have been trying, as you say, for a very, very long time to recreate uh, with technology. That's a good thing, right? So, you know, whether it's a, uh, a stereoscopic camera from the early 20th century or even the late 19th century, oh. right? You know, or whether it's the comics I used to buy as a kid, you know, when you have, a, like, in, in on front of the comic, there'd be stuck some little cardboard glasses with one red lens and one green lens. <laughs> and and, and, and a, 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 an inverse comic that had a red and a green picture on top of each other, and it was kind of more of a crutch than anything, but it kind of gave you this 3D experience. Well, sort of. It, really, it was good enough for me when I was nine years old, anyway. So, you know, this thing has been around with us for, for some time. But Even accidentally on, on something like a medium format, camera. I just recently, uh, well recently, a few years ago, I looked inside the waist level viewfinder of a Mamiya 645 and there was a 3D picture. And it is, this is one plane, it's one ground class surface that, and that's, I, I thought this was not possible. It looked very 3D and then I kind of blinked and closed one eye and opened the other left and right and left and right and I saw a parallax shift. So it was like, oh, holy shit, this is, oh, sorry, beep. Uh, this is, this is, uh, a, this is a 3D picture and I then did some research and it has to do with the Fresnel lens in there and the, the, the dimension of the, of the lens and uh, pretty much both eyes getting a slightly separate picture, which blew my mind. So 3D is, is something that is always kind of exciting, but it's also technically quite interesting when you look at computational photography. Um, early attempts to get 3D in a picture, uh, you, you talked about the HTC One in the last episode. There's a crow shouting at us from above. Oh well, um, Kathmandu. HTC One M8. Yeah, so this was the phone I mentioned in the last show that uh, you know just has had an early uh, way of uh, how I think two two camera sensors, although you could only shoot with one of them, uh, that allowed us to you know, allowed the compute the camera uh, to calculate depth and therefore to you know, com computationally blur the background. Um, yeah, that that was interesting. Uh, it, it was yeah, it worked after a fashion. wasn't necessarily aesthetically pleasing, but you know we, we all have to start somewhere and so let's bring this you know we, okay so it's been around for a while you know uh, and even today you can still buy a stereoscopic holger if you want to go back to film photography but let's talk about how this really impacts you no know, digital devices today we're seeing a whole slew of hardware now coming out with dual cameras and depth sensors and, and the ability to, to change lighting to change depth of field all sorts of stuff coming out and it's certainly not just apple although they are doing it but samsung are doing it and so is everybody else so where do we take that it's i, I don't know for me it's still in its infancy um it i think that, that there's a lot there's a lot of ground still to make up but you know it's becoming increasingly more interesting and if i recall the the last apple keynote where they announced this i don't think it actually quite worked even in the keynote speech if i remember rightly um or something went wrong anyway with the lighting effect or the face recognition or something but it's uh it, it's there and it's and it's coming so what, what are we going to use this for so how many sensors are we going to have in our phones i mean you <clears throat> where, well, where, tell us what Google are doing with it, for example. Well, Google started off a few years ago with what they called Project Tango. Um, and they use depth sensing to make a map of the world around the phone. And this goes into well, what's, what's known as AR, augmented reality, where you want to overlay information, digital information over the real world. So you have a picture of, let's say, a table or a video or the camera looks at a table, you move it and, and uh, then you place a virtual object on that table and it stays where it is. So the camera or the, the phone in this case must know what 
where the surface is and must know reference points to anchor objects to. And of course, there's plenty of use for that in the future. We're not going into AR here, but um, um, it, it was Google Tango that was the name of the project. I think they retired the name by now. And they implanted sensors into phones. I think HTC had one. The current incarnation is the uh, Asus Zenfone AR. And that has a, a 3D sensor in it that, well, from a technical point, I think it showers uh, the, 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 the surroundings with IR beams and then looks at those uh, and, and tries to deduct the geometry of the scene of that. Uh, that that sounds really complicated i think um so maybe a little bit of a description would be benefit everybody here so i'm picturing now sat on a train a high speed train right and if you look at the the the, the big you know uh, building in the background that you know that's a few miles or kilometers away you know that hardly moves at all as your high speed train runs along and things in the middle ground move a bit faster and if you look try and look at the vegetation at the edge of the track you can't see it at all it's a complete blur so you know by the by assessing the way that the you know objects move within a field you can calculate just which is in front and which is further behind and so on so and um, you know that's the sort of thing we're talking about well, here and that's what Apple is doing right now with one lens. If you have an, an old, old <laughs> air quotes, old iPhone 6S, and uh, and use and look at their AR kit demos that are out now from some, several um, software makers, then it can assess the geometry of the scene around it, at least the surfaces, using just one camera. And it does this by exactly what you said, this the so-called parallax shift. If you just slightly move the camera left and right, it sees the same scene from different angles, and it it, it can computationally get the depth out of it um, but now if you look at the at the iPhone 10 which is out just now um, that has a that has a 3d sensor in it that works in a different way and it's very similar to the, what Google Tango used um, which is it looks at well it, it has infrared beams that make a little point cloud on your face you don't see it and then you uh, then it has a camera that looks at these points and can deduct from that the depth of things how far is it can see that the nose is uh, closer to the phone than the eyes for example and it is very detailed in that i think we're talking 30000 points i mean this is a whole um, yeah your face going like oh what uh, yeah this is this is like okay so what you're telling me is my next phone is going to have laser beams in it <laughs> well infrared lasers maybe now now what it's what it's doing uh, what it's using that for is well of course the, the, the face recognition and okay this is Adrian this is not Adrian can I unlock the phone can I not unlock the phone but it, this is also photographically interesting because now it really goes into depth about knowing knowing well depth it goes into depth literally <laughs> and and knows where the background is for example so you can you can in future and there are already apps for that swap out the background without using green screen or blue screen as they do on the movies Okay, so not lasers really, obviously, because that would be dangerous. But yeah, my my phone is going to know where my nose is, yeah, and it's going to and the rest of my face and everything in the background, and it can put stuff on. So how can we use it? Tell, tell me, come on, let, let's have yeah. a conversation about a use for this. Yeah, right? so, but good use is, for example, in filmmaking. Lytro, we remember Lytro. Um, they're not in the consumer space anymore, but they used that. They had this light field technology where they could where you could refocus pictures after the fact. So you took a picture and then you could say, oh, I want this flower in the foreground being focused. Or the th so it knew depth. It did this with a different technology. It's called Lightfield. But um, they are now in a field where they build a camera for movie production. So <clears throat> when, if you shoot a, an action movie and Brad Pitt uh, gets run over by a steam train, 
then that steam train is not real or it's filmed separately and Brad Pitt is in front of a green screen and then later on in, in, in post-production they would take out that green screen and replace it with the footage of that train or starship explosion or whatever I don't care and the, the, the thing that you can now do with these cameras is you film that scene just anywhere doesn't matter the background does not matter you don't need a green cloth in there you just swap out the background because the camera knows the depth Okay, could you also then use that to actually film it in a proper location and then just put the train in afterwards in a in a more realistic way? Oh, definitely. Uh, so okay, so this is yeah, this is uh, this is powerful stuff then. So so can I pretend I've been on a holiday to a better place? <laughs> What do you mean? Wasn't Bhutan good enough? <laughs> no, I don't. okay, all right. Next year's holiday. No, okay, Bhutan, Bhutan was awesome. That's a subject of other no, but, conversations. But, but, but. We'll, we'll see. Look, look at Instagram and all these holiday shots and stuff. We will see a lot of that in, in, in a various different ways. So, okay, so in, when you say, I can't believe my eyes, literally in the future, you're not going to be able to believe what you're seeing. But, I mean, we're partway to that already. This is, in some ways, it's, it's evolution, isn't it, rather than revolution, because we've had you know, changeable backgrounds through green screen technology for a long time. But not, not for you and for me. You know, I don't have a movie studio with a green screen setup. Um, I don't even have a photo studio with a green screen setup. And you won't need one in the future because you will be have we will have this in your camera and you will just press the button and say swap this out, swap the background out for Paris. Okay. Can I? Uh, yeah. Okay. So Paris. That's an interesting one. Joe, where my brain was going is I have a young son and he's really into Star Wars. So if I give him a lightsaber, can we have a photo of him fi- fighting Darth Vader? Of course. Of course you can. Now the depth. The depth. They'll. We will then need object recognition and making sure you know where his hands are and stuff. And that's another thing. That's AR. That's a different animal. But the depth sensors are there and they will enable stuff that we're just seeing the surface of. Uh, there's the joke in there somewhere if we're just seeing the surface of something isn't it so there's a no, there, there, there's a word in our show notes right and i don't know what it means so i'm going to ask you to explain it to so i'm going to put you on uh, put you on point here and say can you explain to me please what is photogrammetry uh, that's one of the technologies that is that allows you to take uh, several 2d photos and the software will match features on the different photos taken from different angles and will recreate a 3d scene out of that that's what photogrammetry is. So it, it, it is, um, there's video-based photogrammetry where you just move the camera around something and it will create a 3D image out of that mm-hmm. or a 3D object pretty much, a virtual object. Or um, there are still photos that you take from multiple sides and then that will um, make a 3D object. You can see some of that photogrammetry, for example, in the 3D maps on your smartphone. Like Apple Maps mm-hmm. has a 3D mode for certain cities like london or berlin and uh, you can then zoom in and you all of a sudden you see the buildings and the bridges and the little cars and they are all 3d not always really good but uh it's a fo- that's photogrammetry that's um pretty much a, an airplane flying over taking multiple photos from different positions and then the software recreates 3d out of that so depth can be recreated in many many different ways okay so the thing that's going through my head now then is is, is that uh, what they did in the Matrix movies to create the whole bullet time nope. effect. Bullet time, bullet time is a completely different. Well, it, it is cameras from different angles. When I saw that effect first, I thought, how would I do this? And I thought I'd have probably had to take a lot of cameras and put them on rigs, and then just take the same someone jumping in the air, 
taking one shot with all cameras at the same time and that's how they did it they they have this whole area of cameras going around the actor and they all shoot at the exact same time and then you can pretty much freeze that image when someone uh, when when trinity jumps into the air and and then circle around it uh, by looking through the different cameras pretty much okay uh, not, not really depth in that sense no, that's a shame because i was hoping to make some bullet time selfies but there you go <laughs> but not yet maybe not yet but the the, the point is is that yeah you know, who knows where this depth stuff is going to take us you know understanding how depth works and and you know in relation to to cameras is going to is going to give us some incredible options oh and in the future we will have these not just cameras that do photogrammetry but also 3d sensors that point not just at you to do face recognition but also point away from you to recognize objects in the world so when we look at image recognition right now i mean it, go onto your smartphone um again i have to pick apple because that's what i use and go into the photos app press on the little magnifying glass the search icon and search for cat and it will bring up photos of cats that you have not tagged as being cats it will recognize i think about five thousand different objects by now put in door window car bottle food it can even it can even quite reliably tell cats from dogs it's amazing so so that that image recognition at this point only happens based on on two-dimensional pictures but in future we will have three-dimensional information at least depth information in there and that will make this object recognition this much more precise because now the depth information is going to be like that's going to change everything now, and we will be really reliable in in seeing that this is a nacho and this is a popodom <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough so i'll tell you what the, you know, let's talk a little bit then about wide angle photography right which i know you are a, a keen advocate and, and practitioner oh, of. Yes. now you know i'm yeah basic basic stuff here or basic concepts of wide angle technology because your lens is going to make things that are far away look small you have to have a subject in the foreground mm -hmm. so you know you when you're taking a, a wide angle shot you need to think in terms of layers you need to think in terms of okay what's in my foreground and foreground for a really wide angle lens is going to be within a meter or two of the camera itself or closer or closer if you yeah and then medium well okay let's say that's 10 to 20 meters and then background well we've seen some pretty glorious snowy mountains some himalayan type stuff in the last couple of weeks um so you know we uh you know how knowing the depth and the relative positioning of these things um sometimes it's difficult to make all of that in focus especially if your foreground is really really close and, and you and i were talking earlier on about focus stacking and understanding how depth might work in that sense um you know we're already seeing i think aren't we you know algorithms that can that can do focus stacking manually um, and can make that work you mean out of multiple photos focused at different distances yeah yeah absolutely sorry this is this is not my area of expertise but i know this stuff is around and we can do this today i'm interested in maybe you know can we use this depth information to maybe change composition after the fact can we say okay well the thing in the foreground needs to stay where it is the thing in the background might move a bit or maybe it would be the other way around actually wouldn't it now i think of it there is a, there is a project out there i think by mit media lab or someone who um who have done computational depth of field so that that is maybe something that we talk about in a different uh, episode computational depth of field changing the depth of field of the foreground but not of the background and that kind of stuff uh is that where you wanted to go? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, 
thinking about making really good images you know often i will look at my photographs and i will think oh if i was just you know a foot to the left or a foot to the right yeah that that would make a real difference i, I wonder if we could get to do that after the fact i i have a theory and i've had this for a while and um this is going out on a on a limb but uh i think in future and this might be a far future from now um we won't take pictures we'll dig pictures out of a whole cloud of information we'll do photographic archaeology so we can well we will have a lot of information that's being recorded and we will um be able to just assume any viewpoint that is included in that 3d cloud and just create a picture from wherever we want but <laughs> that's 50 years from now <laughs> i'll probably not be there <laughs> well of course the great thing about having a podcast called the future of photography <laughs> is is that we can speculate and nobody we should, can we hold should us have to a, the couch. we should have a segment in here where we do our wildest speculations <laughs> just at the end to um to yeah to be really uh not believable anymore <laughs> so well I, i'm a keen sci-fi fan you know i read a lot of sci-fi novels and it's interesting to see over the years that i or the decades i suppose that i've been reading sci-fi how some of these things have come to pass you know people that wrote sci-fi novels including the concept of pocket computers you know and they wrote those in the 60s or the 70s when computers filled a whole room you know and, and lo and behold you know what happens we all carry pocket computers but the you know, I, I don't know. We're, uh, that that 3D cloud thing sounds interesting. Are we going to have like what might look like a, a, a swarm of bees is going to be little tiny micro drones with cameras in them? Well, maybe all our com all our combined smartphones are going to capture stuff and feed it into some cloud. And yeah, that's, uh, let's 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 just leave that out there. Let, let's leave that hanging out there. And in one of the future episodes, talk about uh, some stuff like calculated depth of field. Okay, okay. I will calculated focal length. Okay, can I just give a shout out there to a friend who will who will remain anonymous because I know that this has the potential to embarrass him. He is a very keen photographer and has been for a few years now. He got his start in photography from playing a car racing game on I Which one? I'm not sure. I want to say it might be Gran Turismo. Um, now, whatever it was, it was one of those car racing games that allows you to take photographs. So they will put the car that you've chosen oh, in, into a 3D landscape and you can move the camera In-game photography is another topic that we need to talk about because that is also a genre of photography that is that it, more and more video games now allow. But I think that's, again, it's a whole own episode it, it is but you know the, the 3d modeling in that in, in those environments is, is pretty sophisticated at this point and you know if we could yeah imagine if you could uh i don't know imagine if you had a camera and you could just walk around a real car and then have all of that captured you know the, these are the things uh, i'm speculating wildly here and uh you know it, this it, it's for the future it's not but but yeah bringing it back to right what we've got today well pretty much all the major phone manufacturers are now producing cameras with depth sensors and that's really exciting uh, i'm not sure quite yet how i'm going to use it although the obvious application is to be able to select the focal plane well, where fix, fix the focus you focus on the nose instead of the eyes you want the portrait to be a slightly bit better um yeah f just refocus on the eyes uh, yeah and so there's going to be you know there's going to be some really good advances that we can be able to do really easily things that may have been available for i don't know the last five to ten years in the professional movie making industry but are going to be accessible to everybody with a phone in their pocket and that's pretty exciting stuff there's a lot of photographs being taken every day yeah hundreds of millions being uploaded to facebook and what have you and and uh, you know people are going to play with this stuff and i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens all right 
Let's bring it to an end. Our plane is gonna leave soon, so <clears throat> literally, it's almost five. So we need to get on our way. Um, what was the sign off again? Thank you for listening to <laughs> the future of photography. Uh, we will speak to you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. Take care. been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com.